Cape Talk. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live online. DSTV Channel 885 and 567 AM. Cape Talk. Join the conversation. On the show today, the country goes to stage six load shedding. The electricity minister calls an urgent briefing. Oscar Pistorius' fate in the hands of the parole board hearing currently underway in Atteridgeville. Reva Steenkamp's mother's victim impact statement's been released. The president opens a new hospital in KwaZulu-Natal. And it's Friday, so sports and good things too. All of that over the next hour. Cape Talk. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Great to be with you today, this Black Friday. How's it going for you? Have you made a big uh, payment today? Uh, I did see uh, one person saying that there are payments of hundreds of thousands of rands going through some of the payment systems. Uh, What have you bought? Did you get a good deal? I'd love to hear from you or are you choosing to ignore it? Also, if you've bought a whole whack of food that you are hoping to put into your fridge and now we've just gone to stage six of load shedding, are you worried about that? Send me a WhatsApp voice note, 072-702-1702-072-567-1567. Yes, you heard correctly. Stage six will be implemented from 12 today until 5 on Monday. The electricity minister has called an urgent briefing for this afternoon at 3 o'clock in Hatfield in Pretoria. ESCOM's just put out voice notes have a listen to their spokesperson friday 24 november 2023 it is with great regret that escom announces that due to the shortage of generating capacity and emergency reserves stage six load shedding will be implemented from 12 midday today until 5 a.m on monday escom will publish a further communication today and continue to closely monitor the power system so that's what ESCOM has to say at the stage. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but we're in stage six from 12 o'clock today. Cape Talk. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. In Atteridgeville in Pretoria today, there is a parole board hearing underway for Oscar Pistorius. Uh, his lawyers are saying that they hope that he will be released uh, today. We've just had a victim statement, a victim impact statement from Reva Steenkamp's mother being released. I'll tell you about that in a short while. Firstly, let me take you to Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, who's outside that prison to let you know what's happening so far. Bernadette, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Reva Steenkamp's mother Junstian Kamp is not there today. She's being represented by Rob Matthews, who, of course, is the father of the late Lee Matthews, uh, who was murdered several years ago. Tell us about what's been happening there so far today. Sure. Well, as you say, um, Junstian Kamp is not here. We've been here since about, uh, as the press, since about eight, half past eight this morning, and there there is a lot of media out here. There is there are DCS officials out here. They put up a, a sort of um, tent. Uh, and some chairs and stuff. There's obviously international media here. Um, as you say, June Stankamp is not here today, but early on this morning, uh, Rob Matthews did arrive. And like you say, it's Lee Matthews' father. Lee Matthews was murdered in 2004 by Donovan Mudley. And it's an experience that Rob Matthews had and his family have been through this parole experience. Um, and what he, what he said to us this morning is that for June, it's just been such a traumatic year for her. Of course, we know that Barry Stankamp died recently as well. Um, Rita's father, June's husband. And on the back of 
of attending Oscar's uh, parole hearing in March and all of these other traumatic events that have taken place over the course of the last year, it was just, as he described it, a bridge too far for her to come here. Um, but he did read out the victim impact statement for us. It is being read out by a legal representative for the Stancombe family at the hearing. She is an advocate, though, and she doesn't have permission to speak to the media. So essentially that's Rob's role here is to liaise with the media and kind of be this go-between. Well, Benedetta, we will check in with you a bit later on as well, just to, 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 to make sure that we keep up to date on what's happening there at the moment. The media, of course, are outside of this parole board hearing. So let's understand what's happening inside. Correctional Services spokesperson Singabako Kumalo joining us now. Singabako, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, just in terms of what happens in this parole board hearing, um, we know that the, the victim impact statement has now been released. What else will be happening at the moment. Have a good day and thank you for having us. Uh, unfortunately, I'm also outside as the process involves the parole board, which is an independent structure, so as a department where we are not allowed to participate. Uh, our chain starts with an inmate being admitted, being uh, rehabilitated and being prepared for a life post-incarceration. So then the parole board is therefore a necessary structure to make um, to go through that means test in uh, declaring whether a person is ready or not to be placed out on parole. So today's proceedings are, are basically about the parole board going through the profile of an inmate, checking whether the person in front of them um, uh, has uh, attended all the programs as per the correctional sentence plan, also looking at the assessment reports by specialists and the victim statement and other interested parties and uh, eventually taking everything into consideration thus making a decision whether or not an inmate is ready to be placed out. Singabaka, I don't want to get into the realm of hypotheticals, but if the board decides today that Oscar Pistorius can be released, how, how long does that process take? Could he walk out today or could it take several weeks still? The parole board uh, does make that determination uh, as they um, uh, arrive at their decision to say this person is ready to be placed out. They also start looking at what we call the parole placement conditions, even to say when does the parole placement becomes effective. Is it effective on the day or is it perhaps on the next week or a month? in case there are certain programs that they may still want the inmate to be subjected to, such as the pre-release, if that is necessary. So the parole board you know, will make you know, that particular call to ask the department to just have to comply you know, with, with, with whatever decision that they make. So today we are here waiting to hear from the parole board. If they say he's ready to be placed out, we'll do that. But if they're saying no, again, you know, we'll take that. And if they're saying no, he's ready to go out, and this is the effective date, we'll communicate that particular date. So it's all about the parole board making all those calls because they mm. look at uh, everything in that profile. And even when they say a person should be placed out on a particular date, they will have reasons why they've chosen that particular date. Right. Singabako, thank you very much. Uh, Singabako Komalo, the spokesperson for Correctional Services. So as I explained earlier, Rob Matthews, the father of Lee Matthews, who was murdered uh, in 2003, is representing the Stiankamp family today. He did read June Stiankamp's uh, victim impact statement earlier to the media. Rob, thank you so much for making the time to, to speak to us today. I really appreciate it.
You're, you're there effectively as a representative of, of the Steenkamps. Um, you've obviously spoken to June Steenkamp. How, do, how does she feel about what's happening there today? And maybe if you can just take us through some of what she's saying in that impact statement. Thanks, Mandy. I, I haven't spoken with June today. I think she really just wanted to um, take herself away from everything and uh, and, and yeah, and, and spend some time by herself. I think what she's really looked at is she put all the information in her victim impact statement, um, and 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 really saying, you know, should should he be decided that Oscar is sufficiently rehabilitated, that uh, it's her wish that the parole policies and procedures of the Department of Correctional Services be applied consistent consistently if there should be such a release. So I think that it's been a tough time for. For this for for um, for June and uh, yeah and and today is the culmination of a whole lot of emotions mm-hmm. uh, I think she's trying to deal with. So Rob, you've obviously been through this process many times yourself uh, with Donovan Moodley in attempts to to be released on on parole. How much weight does the victim statement actually hold? Um, and I think it's important to point out that the Steenkamps are not opposing the release of Oscar Pistorius. They, June Steenkamp does say that she does not believe that he has been re- rehabilitated, but she effectively puts the decision in the hands of the parole board. Is that a wise thing to do? I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure what was in her mind when she wrote the impact statement. Uh, what, I, what I am sure about is that you need a balanced view. You can't just have a one-sided input from the offender uh, because then the parole board has nothing to work with in terms of how the victim feels, what that impact has been. And I think the parole board needs to take into account all credible information. It can't just be one-sided. And and to that extent, I, I, I trust that they, they will do that. They will take cognizance of that impact statement and, and do what's right. And and for, for those of people who haven't been inside a parole board hearing, how does that process go? Um, what will likely be happening today? How does it run? It, it's intimidating. First of all, the offender arrives, and uh, therein, if you're a victim, that's your first challenge. And I get it from from June's point of view. That is the most daunting part of the process. The second part of the process, he sits there, or he or she sits there, and then will present the position as they understand it. The chairman of the parole board will read reports of his performance while incarcerated, uh, and then you'll get an opportunity to put forward your impact statements. I think the critical part that you need to remember is that victims do have a voice. And I think too often, because of the difficulty, both financially and emotionally, victims don't attend these parole hearings or don't send a representative. And I, and I, and I think that is, is something that needs to be thought about by correctional services to bring that pendulum back, that you do get credible input from victims, because at the end of the day, those, those are the ones that have been impacted by whatever crime took place. Well, Rob, thank you so much for speaking to us today. I know it's not easy for you either, so I appreciate it. Thank you very much, uh, Rob Matthews, there, um, who, of course, is the father of Lee Matthews. Uh, he's been through this process many times. Uh, he's speaking to the media on behalf of uh, Reva Steenkamp's mother, June Steenkamp. And that victim impact statement has been released. It's, it's quite long. It's six pages. But I'll, I want to just read you one or two paragraphs. So she says, 
at this time, I'm not convinced that Oscar has been rehabilitation, rehabilitated. Rehabilitation requires someone to engage honestly with the full truth of his crime and the consequences thereof. Nobody can claim to have remorse if they are not able to engage fully with the truth. If someone does not show remorse, they cannot be considered to be rehabilitated. Uh, she goes on to say that uh, the pain caused by the dastardly murder of Reva did not only include emotional trauma, it also included trauma that manifested physically as became evident in the accelerated deterioration in health for both Barry and myself. And she goes on to say that should it be decided that Oscar is sufficiently rehabilitated, it is my wish that the parole policies and procedures of the Department of Correctional Services be applied consistently in his release. So a crucial point there is that the steam camps are not opposing the release of Oscar Pistorius, but they are saying they do not believe that he has been rehabilitated and saying if the parole board decides that he's been sufficiently rehabilitated, then they must make sure that they are applying the policies and procedures of the Department of Correctional Services consistently in his release. So that's happening at the moment in Atridgeville. The whole world watches the story. I can't tell you how many requests I've had from international media this week um, because it is still such a big international story. So many people still watching closely what happens to Oscar Pistorius and will he be released today? Cape Talk, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. We're in the court today, the Senzo Miyua trial still underway today, as we've uh, been doing every day this week. Khomoto Modise, EWN reporter, giving us an update on the trial within a trial. Khomoto, good afternoon to you. What's happening in court today? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, uh, we have the vehicle tracking expert back on the witness stand today. Uh, his name is uh, Michael Dupria, and he's been testifying, Mandy, over the last days, we were testifying about um, what happened to that vehicle escort that was uh, transporting some of the accused to go make their confession statements. And, you know, we saw the same escort taking Bongani Ndanti to his um, workplace in Carltonville. But I think what's interesting today is that some of our listeners may remember how I reported on a really interesting movement that was recorded by the ABL system that said that it seems um, that escort uh, was circling the Germiston and Alberton area for about four, five, six hours or so. And it seemed that the vehicle just kept on moving in circles around Germiston and Alberton. And the defense was asking questions around, you know, why that, that movement was happening. It was at around midnight. It was actually between 6 p.m. or at around 6 p.m. until midnight on the 19th of June, 2020. This is after Wangani Ndanzi was taken to go um, sign that uh, confession statement or write the confession statement, but he says he was just given to go sign, right? Um, and I think what's interesting now is that we've learned from the ADL and GPS expert, Mandy, that actually the vehicle may have been in the same area at the, at the uh, engine garage as was stipulated by police, but something called GPS drifting could mean that it was clocking or being recorded in Alberton and Germiston. The version from the police, Mandy, is that they were experiencing car problems, and so they were just around the uh, engine garage in Alberton, and they were trying to kind of test drive and see if the vehicle could move. And so today we're hearing from Dupree that that is very possible. He says, um, you know, uh, it, it can happen that the GPS may just um, really move or shift and move in an eight-like movement or, you know, an eight-like figure 
and and that might record uh, that this movement is being made in multiple places when in fact it isn't the same place. Now that's important, Mandy, because the defence insists he was moved from Alberton, Bongani Danzi was moved from Alberton, and then assaulted also in Germiston. And they claim this is when these moves were made uh, to kind of assault him uh, further and to force him uh, to confess and to sign not one, but two confession statements. Khumoto, thank you very much. Khumoto Modise, EWN reporter in court for us, giving us an update there on the Senzo Miyua trial. WhatsApp Mandy on 072-567-1567. Good afternoon, Mandy. Um, look, this ESCOM issue, I think um, this ANC-led government has proven over and over that they don't care about anyone, nor do they care about the economy of this country. What they care about is their own stomachs. Um, how do they expect businesses to function? In particular, small medium enterprises. How are we supposed to, to function if there's no electricity? This is ridiculous indeed. Good day, good day, good day, Sebronjo. Terrible, only speaking here. This is a real, real, real Black Friday. This is a Black Friday that we have never seen before. The real one, we are getting from ESCOM Black Friday with stage six. Go to the malls, there should be malls that black. Stage six. In some other township, it's even worse. From yesterday, no water. Oh my goodness, in this heat, we are going to die for sure. Oh my goodness, South Africa. Thank you. I have seen a few people uh, saying rather tongue-in-cheek that ESCOM is taking Black Friday rather literally by going to stage six. Uh, I think a lot of people are outraged. And, and what impact does this have on the economy now? If it does uh, see a till point stop being able to work or shopping centers being being dark, um, is it going to have an impact on Black Friday? I think a lot of people are very outraged about that. On the WhatsApp line, Kevin says, Mandy, it's important to tell the listeners in light of the June Steenkamp statement that you read out that Oscar Pistorius was not found guilty of intentionally murdering Reva. He was found guilty of murder by way of dolus eventualis, of intending to kill whoever was behind the bathroom door, but it was not proven at trial that Oscar knew it was Reva. And look, this is crucial. We all became experts in dolus eventualis. The court did not find, crucially, that Oscar Pistorius intentionally wanted to kill Reva Steenkamp. It found that he intentionally wanted to kill someone. And that is crucial in this finding. We know that it did go on appeal and the sentence was increased. But in her impact statement, Reva Reva Steenkamp's mother says... I do not believe Oscar's version that he thought the person in the toilet was a burglar. In fact, I do not know anybody who does. My dearest child screamed for her life loud enough for the neighbors to hear. I do not know what gave rise to his choice to shoot through a closed door four times at somebody with hollow point ammunition when I believe he knew it was Reva. So, so look, that's her version, and she's entitled to that version when it comes to a parole board hearing. But when you look at the decision of the court of law, and I always make this point, and I should have made it earlier, that the court found that he did not intentionally want to kill Reba Steenkamp. He wanted to intentionally kill someone. And that's the court finding. Kate Talk. The Midday Report with Mandy Weiner. Join the conversation. President Cyril Ramaphosa at the moment officially opening the Dr. Pixley Kaisa 
Isaka Seme Memorial Hospital in Kwamashu in KZN. He is busy speaking at the moment. It's a newly established 500-bed facility that will provide round-the-clock services to the community of Kwamashu. Let's have a listen to what he's saying right now. Without any doubt, it is the best that we have today here in South Africa and is being opened here, KwaZulu-Natal. This is also a day of remembering, remembering our iconic leader, O Dr. Pixligaisa Kaseme. We remember him fondly and we honor him today as we open this hospital. We couldn't have thought of a better name to give to this hospital. And we want to thank his family. And earlier we opened also a statue that represents him just so that everyone who comes to this hospital must see precisely what this great man looked like what he lived for and what he did for our country. But it is also a day of celebration. Celebration the attainment and achievement of a vision that was set up some years ago. A goal, something that was thought unattainable. It's a day to celebrate and also to honor O Dr. Zuelini Mkize, Owae U MEC Ngaleshoskati, Wagwazu Guti Abe Nombon, Waba Nombon Oguti, Siake Isi Petela Esinje, Siakbonga Dr. Zuelini Mkize, we thank you for what you have done, for what you did to get this hospital. So that's the president, Cyril Ramaphosa, busy officially opening the Dr. Pixley Kaisaka Seme Memorial Hospital in Kwamashu. Interesting there that he acknowledges the role played by William Kize, who, when he was the health MEC, had the foresight vision to uh, start building and planning this uh, this hospital. We know, of course, that William Kize is um, now no longer um, uh, a cabinet minister or an MEC uh, for for that matter uh, in the wake of Digital Vibes. So important acknowledgement there. Um, I'm sure that's, that's also relevant within the ANC. But also, it is important to acknowledge when the government does do things correctly and that they do have the foresight to build hospitals and things like this uh, for the people of Kwamashu. So that's happening right now. 12.30, time for Eyewitness News Headlines. WhatsApp Mandy on 072-567-1567. Exactly what Andre the Rater said last year, that by December 23, it's going to be a nightmare again. Cheers, Andrew. Hi, Mendy. Regarding the issue of ESCOM. You know, Mendy, if you work for a company and you're not delivering, there are consequences. These this guys from ESCOM work for ESCOM. You know, the employees themselves. They must also be blamed. We always blame the ministers, the ESCOM, but we forget that there are people who work there. These guys who earn a lot of money. What is it that they're doing there? 
I don't understand what is it that they're doing there. You know, it's been a decade now, but there's no improvement. There's no improvement. There's nothing. Workers must also be be blamed. They're the ones working. They're the ones who also contributing uh, to 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 load shedding. You would have made a perfect fit there. Hi, Mandy. Uh, Peter, I missed you earlier on Clement's discussion with female sports broadcasters. Yeah, you would have made a perfect fit there. Um, on ESCOM, how much optimism does one need to continue believing that things can improve under this current government? Uh, and by the way, uh, what has happened to Mkwebane's perjury case? Since she's busy making lots of self-righteous noise, criticizing everyone in justice and law enforcement, including the Chief Justice right now. Thanks, Farai. Thank you very much for all of those WhatsApp voice notes. You know, it's been longer than 10 years. It's been 15 years since uh, load shedding was first introduced. Even the term load shedding, the euphemism that we use, of course, is is bizarre. The fact that we, we still refer to it as such. Um, and I think that, there, yeah, there's a lot of concern. You know, didn't Fikile Mbalula say that we, load shedding was going to be ended by 2023? I saw Musi Maimani tweeting about that now, saying what happened to him. And those comments. Um, but I think that, that when there's a heat wave or when it's very cold and then these things happen and then we've got breakdowns. So I'm looking forward to hearing the electricity minister's uh, press conference at three o'clock this afternoon to hear about how they're going to deal with it because we are in stage six now and people are very outraged. People are very angry in the heat. It's Black Friday. People, of course, are upset about that. MJ on WhatsApp says, Hi, Mandy. The hospital is not only for Kwamashu community, it's for Inanda and Ntuzuma and Kwamashu, hence it's also located between. Between Inanda and Kwamashu. Thank you for that correction, MJ. And then Bianca says, I think Oscar Pistorius did not did know it was Reva behind the door and they had an argument in between the door and it's because she was on her cell phone, wasn't she? That said Oscar Pistorius off and he got so angry and he lost it and he just this is um I think just rekindling that entire conversation that we had throughout twenty fourteen, uh, when Oscar Pistorius was on trial, where everybody became an expert on, on this trial. And the point I made earlier is that there is a difference between the court of public opinion and the court of law. The court of law found that Oscar Pistorius did not intentionally kill Reva Steenkamp, but he intentionally killed someone. And I can assure you now from speaking to lots of rooms of people about this, that the court of public opinion reached a different conclusion to the court of law. But you have to draw that distinction. The court of law is what runs this country. Cape Talk. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. In Parliament today, uh, a joint standing committee on the financial management of Parliament on its 2023-24 mid-year performance report. That's the one thing that's happening. The other thing that's happening is the National Assembly debating the urgent call for the intervention by the police and intelligence structures to address politically motivated killings, including the killing of Amakosi and other traditional leaders as well. And we really have seen an increase in targeted assassinations, politically motivated killings. We are, of course, going into an election year next year as well. So that's always concerning. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, following that for us. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. What are the politicians saying and what is the police minister saying in response? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, this debate, a mini-debate, was uh, initiated by the IXP, um, really wanting police uh, to ramp up their response uh, to politically motivated killings and especially traditional leaders uh, and others um, who you know, keep 
really control in, in the rural areas and are also very important, uh, the ISP says, to stem violence and crime in those areas. Um, but a lot of criticism from opposition parties that crime intelligence structures are just not up to the task. As we know, this is something that has been going on in this particular province, uh, particularly for decades. Uh, and um, the NSP's shaky mum saying that uh, coalitions are adding a- another element uh, to the situation because these are not always being negotiated in good faith and rather being negotiated down the barrel of a gun. Uh, and so um, the police minister saying in response that he, he wanted to correct this insinuation. He said that opposition parties were offering that the police were not doing much about the situation. He was uh, quoting um, a, a lot of statistics since this uh, task team was formed in 2018 saying that there had been over 250 arrests in about over 300 matters since uh, 2018. And as you pointed out in your introduction, Mandy, they are on high alert going into uh, this election year. But the IFP calling for a commission of inquiry, particularly into the killings of traditional leaders. We know there was a commission of inquiry in this province uh, back in 2016, I think it was, and it was concluded in 2017. Um, But the IFP says money should be shifted from VIP protection that protects a couple of dozen politicians to rather protect these traditional leaders uh, and other politicians uh, on on a lower level um, and not just the VIPs. Lindsay, thank you very much. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, looking at that debate in Parliament today. That, that's funny, right? So um, every time that there is a concern, uh, people say, well, let's shift the budget from the VIP police um, protection for politicians. So in this case, let's shift it to traditional leaders. The, the argument a couple of days ago was, well, let's shift it to the investigating directorate so that they can actually be better capacitated to convict state capture crimes. The point of it is we need to shift that budget because it's crazy that there's such a large budget. Uh, it's proportional, but there's such a large budget that goes to VIP protection. I've argued this point before where we just shouldn't be spending that kind of money in protecting politicians. It, it's not necessary. However, we are seeing the fact that there are definitely uh, an increase in political, uh, politically motivated, uh, targeted assassinations, and that's what's under discussion here. Kate Talk. The Midday Report with Mandy Weiner. Join the conversation. It is Black Friday today. Lots of you, I'm sure, are getting in on uh, good deals today, spending money. My approach to Black Friday is I decide beforehand, is there something I want to buy? And if there's something I want to buy, then I look for it on Black Friday. I don't do it the other way around, but it takes enormous discipline. So uh, I'd love to hear from you about how you're dealing with that today. Gloria Matsquere, EWN reporter, has been out in the shops for us, speaking to people that are willing to part with their cash. Gloria, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. What's, uh, what's it like out there on the streets? Good afternoon, Mandy. Depending on which part of Johannesburg you find yourself, there's a bit of a difference in what people are buying and what people actually want from to get from this day. So in Men Lane earlier today at Game, and a lot of the people that were there are buying big appliances, they are buying um, air fryers, they are buying air conditioners, and somehow toilet paper has made it to the list of the things that people are buying in bulk this year. But when we moved to Woodmead, we found that people there are actually buying clothes. There's not a lot of people that are buying groceries or anything like that. People are actually queuing in long queues where people are standing for two, three hours just to get clothes for the festive season.
It's so interesting that uh, people are buying air conditioners. Uh, they need electricity, obviously, to um, to get those air conditioners to work in, in a heat wave. Um, do people there realize that we've gone to stage six of load shedding, that this might have an impact on them? And does it impact their purchases at all? It doesn't really look like people have paid attention to that, Mandy, because people are just going about their day as they did earlier in the morning. It doesn't seem like people think that their purchases should be any different considering that load shedding is something that we have to contend with and air conditioners are actually some of the products that have been selling in large quantities today at game they were actually mentioning that there are also some of the things that are being bought online in really large numbers that's fascinating gloria thank you so much uh, and uh, gloria has also uh, brought us some audio of some of the people that she's been speaking to have a listen been waiting for I got here around 7 a.m. I bought sneakers for me and my daughter it was worth it because I come very far I took taxis from home to here uh, I'm from Mozambique I come from Mozambique to buy that thing and all I'm waiting for Black Friday all here uh, I'm from Mozambique I come from Mozambique to buy that thing and all I'm waiting for Black Friday all years. Yeah, so lots of people traveling to South Africa. Uh, lots of people being very specific about what they're going out to buy today. Uh, I find it very intriguing that air conditioners, as we are in a heat wave, is the one thing that people are, are spending a lot of money on. I want to hear from you what you've been spending money on. I think some people might also wait for Cyber Monday, but in South Africa, on the Friday, it is kind of like Cyber Monday because we buy so much stuff online as well. But also a word of caution from the Department of Health urging consumers to be extra careful when buying food products today because what often happens is quality is compromised, safety over quantity is well also compromised. Foster Mohale, the Department of Health spokesperson, joining us now. Foster, good afternoon to you. What are your concerns when it comes to Black Friday? Good afternoon to our listeners and thanks for the opportunity. Yes, uh, we want to urge our consumers today as they enjoy the discounts, the savings uh, that they must not compromise the quality and the safety of food, food uh, items that they buy. They need to uh, be uh, extra vigilant, check the, the expiry date and the food labeling to ensure that what they're buying is exactly what's going to be able to assist them. Otherwise, uh, as you know, that they've been experiencing the cases of uh, food poisoning around the country. So we say some people, uh, manufacturers might take a chance try to produce uh, counterfeit food we say please try to ensure that know what you buy, check what you buy before you leave the store to ensure that it's still something that can be able to use uh, beyond the, I mean, the, the Black Friday. Foster, one of the, the points I've been raising, and I realize this isn't entirely your responsibility, but uh, government is in now in, uh, told us, we're, or ESCOM has told us, we're in stage six of load shedding. And lots of people are buying large volumes of food today. Is there a health concern around that if there's no electricity to, to keep it fresh? Yeah, look, uh, look. when there's no opportunity to buy food, uh, especially on this town, yes, people will encourage people to do that, especially as you know that we're now in a difficult economic uh, uh, time. But we say, uh, buy, don't buy too much perishable food, especially during the time of load Otherwise, we're going to make a lot of savings uh, through discounts. And later, we're going to lose this food uh, through load shedding. As you know, that we are currently basing with load shedding. So try to avoid a lot of perishable food. 
that will later lose due to load shedding. And Foster, just a couple of points that you make, Todd, to, to identify illicit food products. So things like checking the color, checking the nutrition label, checking the expiry dates as well. People just need to, to be a bit cautious. No, definitely. As you know that if you are going to buy a, a Fanta orange, Fanta orange will be orange. It can't be lighter orange or yellowish orange. It must be orange. If you are going to buy a lucky star fish, which is red, then don't buy something uh, half red or half white. So try to be careful on what you buy. Check the food labeling, check the party date, either on top or at the bottom or, or on the side of a food item that you buy. Otherwise, uh, you are going to use uh, that food is going to create more health problems for you. Foster, thank you so much. Excellent advice there for you to heed from Foster Mahale. Check that your Fanta orange is indeed orange. Um, Heather says, is government selling our coal on a Black Friday special? Hashtag stage six. Sports Wrap. Sports Wrap. With Tolagele Mganga. Tonakele, good to chat to you today. Thanks for, for coming in. Thank you, Mandy. There's big golf happening in Joburg today. Yes. Hopefully, hopefully fans are turning out in their numbers, of course. So we know I that drove past yesterday and looked quite quiet. So hopefully people go over the weekend. I think it's the combination of the heat from yesterday. It was too much. But thankfully, because you're on stage six and we're all wanting to be outside, we've got three days of golf still underway. So people can head to the Houghton Golf Club. At the moment, of course, we know that Tristan Lawrence currently leads. He won in 2021 and he's looking to become only the third man to win this competition on two occasions. Uh, in India, there is cricket happening between the same two teams that played in the final of yes. the World <laughs> Cup uh, on Sunday. And now they're playing each other again four days later in a T20. In a which T20. Bizarre, really. Also, keep in mind that we have another World Cup also coming up next year. Just explain this is a T Twenty World Cup. It's it's been an ongoing conversation. In a sense, a lot of sports are trying to catch up with what happened in twenty twenty. Of course, we know with COVID, a lot of things had to be cut, a lot of tours had to be cancelled. So people are trying to make back money. Any a lot of nations are trying to make money any way possible, and it comes with coming with bilateral series. A lot of these nations have their own. T20 leagues or ODI leagues or T10 leagues in some cases in the Caribbean, but also there's also national team focus. That's why you tend to find some players will retire from international duty so that they can still continue playing T20 format because it's roughly six weeks. Mm. You can play in 10 countries within a year and make a lot of money. But well, you, so I, I follow Faf on, on Instagram and he's constantly just traveling the living world. Living his it's best amazing. life. It's amazing. Oh, it's great. For him. It's great for leagues that are trying to attract newcomers to cricket but it's weird for some of us where we're going but we didn't even have a chance to really enjoy the fact that australia won the world cup i remember in the newsroom we were all laughing when the visuals came through of pat cummings it, it minus was so there was funny there was no one players, there no one there uh, and then someone suggested to me that actually it costs it's very expensive to park at the airport in in australia so <laughs> His wife was probably saying, hurry up, come to the car. So there's yeah. no one there. But we had had we gotten maybe to a final and possibly won it, we would have shut down the whole airport. But for them, because even now some players can go back to go back home to Australia while others are still in India because they've got the T20 to focus on. The calendar issue has been something a lot of players have been bringing up. Even Ben Stokes won't be playing the IPL next year because he's going between the test series and everything that he has to deal with. You can't afford to be playing all these smaller leagues yeah. in order to, to play and, some cricket. And Cummings very wisely set out the IPL because he said it was too much cricket. Uh, there's lots of football underway this weekend, yes. locally and internationally. International football is done for... 
the next six weeks. We do have AFCON coming up, so we can start thinking about Bafana Bafana in January. But, but it's very now, big Premier League games, though. For, for who, Mandy? Liverpool's playing City. Ah, uh, them. Manchester United, more importantly, are playing Everton. And, who are, and Everton's got this 10-point ten ten deduction thing. They are playing at home. They are very angry, and Manchester United are very horrible at the moment. If we lose 7-0, that will be the reason I don't come to work on Monday. Just know that. But it is a top-of-the-table clash between Liverpool and Manchester City. I think now that we have these few weeks where we won't be interrupted by club football, we're going to start seeing how the league race, how the places for, the, the race for Europe, and how the relegation battle kind of molds itself out. So that will be an exciting one. And then locally, the big game this weekend is the other Soweto derby. That one is between Morocco Swallows and Kaza Chiefs. Uh, prediction? No? Steve Gombella will probably beat his former club. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What a way to talk to you on Monday. Tola Kelly. I won't be here. My team would have lost. <laughs> Tola Kelly, thank you. Good things. Good things. With Brent Lindeke. And wrapping up uh, Friday, as always, with the good things guy, Brent Lindeke. Brent, T, happy Friday. Happy Friday, man, and happy Friday to all of the Cape Talk and 702 listeners. It's so lucky to be back in studio with you. And what did you buy today on Black Friday? I have bought absolutely nothing. I, I, I haven't even, I didn't even partake in Black Friday. I, I, am, I, am I a loser or am I a winner? I don't know. Well, I did exactly the same thing. I'm trying to be very, very disciplined. So maybe, maybe we'll be winners at, at the end of this. Who knows? So the, the, the Santa shoebox joy has gone viral already. Over 5 million views. Tell us about that. So I love this every year. This incredible organization asks South Africans to collectively pack little Santa shoeboxes for kids in need around the country. They've been going for many, many, many years. So if you do know of them, or if you don't know of them, please get to know the Santa shoebox and get involved. But they put up this video on TikTok, and I watched it again just before the show, and I actually cried because it's so beautiful. Uh, it's of a, a group of kids in the Western Cape opening up their Santa shoeboxes. And let me tell you, when you see a smile like that on these kids' faces for getting pencils and crayons, and it's just unreal how little it'll take to bring joy to others this Christmas. So please get on to, to either Gripping Guy or TikTok to watch that video. You are going to cry to so get the tissues ready. Hope has arrived in abundance for a official couple fighting to survive. Tell us about that. Glenn and Kylie Rousseau um, had an absolutely normal life. They had jobs. They had uh, houses. They, they, they were living a good life. Um, but unfortunately, uh, 2020, the financial devastation really hit home for them. And they found themselves homeless living on the street. Um, it, it was an incredibly sad story. Uh, they eventually got shelter in, in Fishhook, but uh, the hubby got really, really sick. And, and Kylie has taken to begging to sort of try and make, make ends meet. Uh, a good Samaritan, Chris Boerter, saw her at an intersection, offered to buy her a coffee. Uh, she told him her story, and uh, he put a crowdfunding campaign together that he was just wanted to raise a couple of thousand rand to help this, this family, and they managed to raise over 76,000 rand in a matter of days, um, changing this, this couple's life story, really. Sure. And then uh, Fuff, uh, that is Fuff, uh, he of the wearer of the Speedo, has met a, a super fan to give him a special Fuff Speedo too. 
My gosh, what a story, and I was there to see it all. So Pastor Clack, um, he caught the attention, or the attention was caught with this post that a mom put up onto social media asking for a Speedo for his son. He's six or seven years old, he's a little one. She couldn't find him a Fuff Speedo. Um, budget Insurance, who, who uh, Fuff works for, he's the face of them. You've seen him on the billboards. Um, they saw the post. They got in touch with the mom and said, come down to our offices on Wednesday. Uh, we'll have a signed speedo for your son. And uh, the family got there. They were put into a waiting room. And up the stairs, choops, there, Fuff walked in. There were cameras. It was beautiful. The little kid, Mandy, he, he, he was so in shock in seeing his superhero. Uh, but then he got to spend a bit of time with Fuff. And let me tell you, Fuff is an incredible human, humble, lacquer guy. I also got to spend a bit of time with him, and he's, he's really a nice guy. The question, of course, Brenty, is were you wearing a Speedo? Um, I 100% was. <laughs> it, was un- it was under my jeans. I didn't get the opportunity to take my jeans off, though, because there was a huge celebration with, with the whole office afterwards. So I thought, I to, I thought it was a little bit in- inappropriate. <laughs> Brent Lindeke. Thank you so much, Brent. Have a great weekend. Thank you to you too. And like I say, every single Friday to all of the listeners, wishing you only good things. Only good things, Brent Lindekew, the good things guy, wrapping up our Friday. Cape Talk. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. So I can tell you that the president right now is all of us because he has just finished his uh, speech at the launch of this new hospital near Kwamashu. And he is drenched. He is schwitzing. He has been uh, wiping his face with his uh, hanky and his entire shirt is translucent at the moment. He feels like all of us uh, in this heat wave in Joburg, at least, uh, dealing with stage six of load shedding. So I'm sorry for, for your experience there, Mr. President. Uh, So that's the one thing that's happening. The other thing is at 3 o'clock this afternoon, the electricity minister is going to be having an urgent press conference about uh, the situation with load shedding. I look forward to that and his explanation for what's going on and what's going to be happening. And then, of course, uh, the whole world, really. I still believe the whole world because there's so much international media attention, Um, many media organizations watching what's happening in Attridgeville today because their parole board hearing underway, Oscar Pistorius' fate being decided there. We know that June Steenkamp victim impact assessment uh, affidavit has now been made public as well. So we are anticipating some kind of decision there this afternoon. It's one o'clock. Time for Eyewitness News.